Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where you learn what you need to know about how the world wants to work. And now your host, co-working space owner and trend expert, Jamie Russo. Hey, before we dive in, I want to share with you an upcoming cohort for our management agreements course, which we call Creative Coworking Partnerships. If you're a landlord or a co-working space operator looking to get into a creative partnership structure to put a co-working space in a building that has the right upside for both parties while being confident that you've covered all the who does what and what ifs before you commit, then you know you need to become an expert on the co-working management agreement. I've partnered with management agreement expert Mike Abrams to develop a course that covers structuring and negotiating management agreements and other creative partnerships from A to Z. If you're a co-working space operator looking to expand through a creative deal structure or a landlord looking to offer flexible workspace in your building and you want to understand management agreements from both a strategic perspective and a tactical perspective, we designed this course for you. We have run this course twice now with cohorts. We like to launch it in cohorts because we think it's really helpful to do the Q&As with other operators and landlords that are working through um, deals real time. So you can access the course at other times of the year, but the next cohort will start on September 13th. So if you'd like to jump in, you can get all of the details at everythingcoworking.com forward slash management agreements. The course is online, so you can access the modules at your own pace, but we run Q&A calls every other week so that you can process what you've learned and get access to Mike and myself to ask questions and do breakouts with the other folks in the group and kind of learn from others. You also get access to all the Q&A call recordings that we've done um, either on video or on private podcast if you like to listen on the go. So if you have any questions, you can find all the details at everythingcoworking.com forward slash management agreements. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Russo. Thank you for joining me today. Today on the podcast is Ben Wright. Ben is now the head of flexible office solutions for a digital first brokerage called Squarefoot. Upsuite, which was a company he founded, was acquired by Squarefoot. So the reason I love talking to folks that run platforms like Upsuite, so Upsuite is a marketplace to help end users find workspace, mostly in North America today, is that those platforms have a lot of data. So he has pricing data, transaction data, um, you know, length of agreement data. So while I talk to hundreds of operators every month through my programs, getting a lot of qualitative data, um, and some actual data, the number of data points that he gets is uh, much larger and really tells some stories about what's happening in the marketplace. And he loves to share those insights. So today we talk about a number of things. They issued a report that t- um, 
illustrated some of the trends from Q2 and what that recovery started to look like, some projections um, around what's next in terms of recovery in different markets. We talk a little bit about segments of users, um, some insights he has around what end users are um, typically, what mindset they're in when they're looking for traditional space uh, versus flex space. And we talked a little bit also about um, kind of moving from like really early innovator to more of a broader market of early adopters for flex um, and, you know, kind of what they're looking for and why they join a flex space and how that can help you. He also shares some insights around managing leads. So Upsuite's goal is to bring workspace leads to operators, and then the operators have to close those leads. So he shares some good kind of tidbits around um, when that doesn't work so well and some of the opportunities that you have to just make sure that is super tight as we move further into recovery. So appreciate Ben's time to share these insights. I think you're really going to enjoy some of the macro perspective he shares and some insights kind of getting into the head of our end users. So enjoy my conversation with Ben. Welcome. I am back with a repeat guest and Ben, I don't have a lot of repeat guests and you were recently <laughs> on the podcast. And so we connected, you've had some updates since we last chatted. So I can't wait to talk. There are a lot of things on the list that we want to get into today. Um, so Ben, uh, you'll have to update me on your kind of updated title, was the CEO and founder of Upsuite. He had a recent acquisition uh, with Squarefoot. So we'll talk about how that's going. We're also going to talk about some data that you've published on Q2 performance in the flex industry. And you've also mentioned, which I think is really interesting, that you're learning a lot about the behavior of traditional office customer versus the flex office customer. So I want to talk about that. So I appreciate you being willing to share your insights and taking the time to do this. So thank you for hopping back on again. My pleasure. It, it was really fun last time and hopefully we'll have fun again today. Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure I said this last time, but I was looking through your report and I think the challenge with this industry is, you know, like roughly you might know this most recent number, but say 75 to 80% of the market is independent, right? So We've got the the big guys, the WeWorks and the Industriouses, and then there are a lot of independent operators that are kind of operating in a bubble and they don't know, you know, what's happening out there. So I love, I talk to a lot of operators and I try to synthesize, but I'm getting somewhat qualitative, you know, data in my programs. I, you know, I talk with, you know, a couple hundred operators every single month, but I love looking at your numbers. So let's start first with your Q2 data, and then we'll kind of talk about your transition, but um, yeah, I mean, you have this unique, you're, you're pushing things out really quickly. And I love that you have kind of the most recent what's happening and it may be that things are shifting, you know, even since then. So I'd love to hear your perspective on Delta variant and whatnot, but yeah, tell us what you found in your, in your Q2 uh, study. Yeah. Well, great. Ha happy to. And, and um I think some of the most interesting things we were looking for, and and, and to to let you know a little bit about the the data that we collect, it's it's demand data, pricing data, closures, new locations um, for about twenty five hundred locations, um, and that's twenty five hundred verified locations in in our database. We have a, roughly four thousand, all in North America. I always like to say that because there are a lot of your listeners that are outside North America. Yeah, good point. Um, 
and, and it's from about 350 different operators. And, and you might say, we hear this a lot. Oh, aren't we work in Regis kind of all you really need to know? No, uh, you really aren't. Uh, and, and I think those two are the two biggest and the two best known, but together they make up, you know, uh, roughly a third or so of, of the market that we see. So, um, so what, what we were looking for in Q2, obviously, just to kind of take us back a few months was when the quarter started, COVID was still, uh, there were a lot of places on lockdown. I'll give you an example. Oh, yep. Canada stayed on lockdown until the end of Q2. So yep. we're talking about a market that was effectively painful. Uh, I know I work with some operators pretty closely in my coaching program that are in Canada and we would get on the phone and I just would be like, I ouch again, okay, still. Yeah. When the quarter started also, um, there, there were a few cities that had already kind of awoken a little bit. The first in the, that we saw in North America was Washington DC when the election finished in Q4. And there was that kind of uh, changeover of, of the guard in, in Washington, D.C. That was really the only market that we saw, saw a lot of activity in in Q4. In Q1, it was markets like Houston that started to kind of yep. r- really grow. But then Q2 is just when, and, and it was almost vindication for some of the cities that and markets that that people thought were were dead or, or would never come back. I'll give you an example. We found that demand for flexible office in New York City alone in Q2 rose almost 83% compared to Q1, which is just remarkable. Wow. And, and yeah. any, any, of your, any of your listeners that were spending time in New York could tell that it was coming back, you know, that the, 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 the qualitative information that we had were that the trains were filling up and that people were coming back to the city and, and moving back and, and that really showed in the flex market uh, in a market like New York. Um, another city that people have said, well, maybe its days are numbered, uh, Los Angeles. I saw uh, that in your report and I thought the same thing. I thought, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because it's not every, we also look at submarkets. So I'll give you an example in New York first, like Brooklyn is an incredibly hot market for flex. It's just really amazing because it's a 5 million person city in its own right but it's also not in the center of, of, of everything. And, and I think it's a, it's a great market to be in. Um, Manhattan though, really did come back also in Q2. They didn't don't necessarily move the same way in LA. It's even more pronounced downtown LA pre COVID was a really difficult market for a lot of operators who a lot of national operators went into downtown LA thinking it behaved like downtowns and other major cities. And it doesn't. A, a lot of the demand and, and growth and flexible office in LA is, is Hollywood, Culver City, kind of west of west of downtown. And so we saw that market really, uh, really explode uh, as well. And there, there are many other markets there too. So I think one of the highlights was, you know, hey, <laughs> flex isn't dead, the office market isn't dead, and cities aren't dead, uh, would be the would be the the highlight. And, and of course, and we'll get into this later, but, you know, as, as the Delta variant and other things come back, COVID is still a thing, right? And, and it's still a thing in, in a lot of cities, but it doesn't impact every market or every operator the same way. So you mentioned in the report, a return of demand, but also mentioned the return wasn't 
necessarily strong enough to get operators back to profitability because the occupancy, you know, wasn't quite there. And you mentioned like a 70, 75% or 70 to 80% occupancy. Sometimes it's 85%, you know, required to be profitable. I think it it really depends. And we probably talked about this last time, but the the sort of disparity between spaces with offices and open space, right? Because the occupancy on you know, more of a hot desk model has to be really high to hit profitability. And so that mm-hmm. I think probably a, a big challenge. So would you say demand is returning, but not totally out of the woods in terms of, you know, you mentioned sort of operators being cash poor, I think might've been the way, the way you put it. Right. Right. And, and this is going to sound really familiar to all of your listeners, right? So, so just because demand comes back, meaning that's shopping behavior, That doesn't necessarily mean that that's signing behavior, um, although we are seeing just as much growth in signings. And, you know, and and the operators that, you know, we track discounts pretty, pretty heavily Uh, in Q2. There was there were definitely a lot of discounts, for example, in in New York on the transactions that we did in New York. Discounts were were ranging between 25 and 45 percent on on longer term deals. That's still that's a lot of discount. And it's hard to make money doing that. And it's and that's in spaces that we're still not close to that kind of 70, 75, 80, 85% occupancy. So so that those challenges are going to continue. But what, what's new here is a few things that that overall demand is is returning, but demand for profitable members is returning too, meaning the four <laughs> seats, yeah. six seats, eight <laughs> yeah. seats, the teams and and why those are profitable, because they can really large teams are problematic for your listeners because if if they're there they're great if they leave it can be really painful so um we've always built our business around that kind of bread and butter four to eight seat team that is going to stay for 12 months they might even renew for longer they pay what you know they, they pay on time yeah. they uh, they like it there um so that's a unit that i think is really important to the industry and it's that 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 returned in Q2 across almost all, all markets, with the exception of of Canada and in North America. So, so that's a good thing. And and that's a market that COVID really hurt because no employer was going to say, "Hey, let's get all of us back together every day," in the middle of a pandemic. So, yes. so I'm curious on the discounting front, and you probably don't have data on this, but I'm interested in your perspective. So Bill Bennett wrote a piece on LinkedIn about WeWork's financials. Did you? you, I saw it. Yeah, it was great. So he, you know, was kind of inferring pricing um, that WeWork was doing some significant discounting on their per seat price. Like they were in the 300 range. And I would expect them, as he wrote in his article, to be closer to 700 for office, right? Because they're 90% office space, right? Um, So that their office seat would be much higher. Um, Is that, you know, is that like, do they have a, who, who were they discounting to that wasn't willing to pay? And do you think that's shifting? Like you mentioned this, you know, four to six seat, you know, company comes in, they expect to pay, you know, full price. Maybe there's some discount for a longer term agreement or whatnot, but do you think there was some, is that going to shift? Will that, can they come back from that? Um, and, or maybe why were they doing it? Were they selling to a different client that just simply wasn't willing to pay? That's a great, so 
that, that I'm going to give you a multi-part answer because that was a multi-part question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, the I think what what some larger operators like WeWork are doing, including WeWork, with their discounting is they're saying, look, we're not going to discount the monthly rent on a long-term deal. We're going to give you some element of free months, somewhere between one and three months. Um, but when you start to pay, you're, you're essentially going to pay the full rate for that month. And, and what they're doing is they're training up, they're, they're training up their their member that when renewal time comes, they're used to paying that monthly amount. So the the one to three months of of discounting, I think is is really smart. The way we present it to clients is look, we'll just we're going to tell you what you're going to pay on average over yeah, a twelve month average monthly. Yeah, and, and and that so so that's a a very smart approach. Um, you know, obviously they're discounting for longer term agreements. Um, you know, discounting like that on a month to month agreement is is you being a former operator, you know that's there's no winning with with that with that approach. So so it's got to be longer term agreements. Who they're doing it for? Anecdotally, you know, the larger the suite, um, the the bigger the the discount. Um, what's interesting on that though is the asking price we saw. We, we as you know, we track ask, asking prices by size of suite. You know, one, two, up to ten plus, yeah. and um, Asking prices on large suites tended not to fall during COVID. Discounts are really what what fell on those large suites, and and I think the rationale was that you know it, it's rarer to find teams for that large suite. Yeah. So once you have them on the hook, you'll you'll tend to discount them. Another way of saying that is asking price for a large suite almost doesn't matter as much uh, as the end kind of negotiation. So, so that was interesting. We we saw discounting during COVID very much on the kind of the the dedicated desk and the and the hot desk level uh, from an asking price perspective more so than than the really large suites. But then the discounts really come in on the large suites. So I think I answered two of your three parts. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we got close. Well, I'm curious over the long term. I mean, you, so you're talking about kind of a like that 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 discount rate is like a maybe a blended rate, but that still matters, right? So will that continue? Or do you think the discounts, even as a blended rate, will that the the effective price will move higher? Yeah. So let me I'm gonna fast forward to to kind of how I see the market returning and then then circle back to discounts. So one of the things that was really interesting in Q2 and early Q3 is we actually found some submarkets that don't have any availability in North America. And, and that that's a welcome site for, for operators, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of more color on that. Are, are you selling um, that data for a premium? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'll I mean, tell you who it is. Like, like North Austin, which is where, you know, companies like, there, there are just so many companies moving to, to that market. It is great to be an operator there right now. And, and in a market like that, where you've got, you know, 90 plus occupancy across the market that gives you a lot more pricing price power. pricing yeah. power and so you don't discount as much right um cherry creek north in denver is another <laughs> one of those where where um i'm taking that mar- other way <laughs> that, that market is basically <laughs> full right now and and that's rare i mean that 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 is very rare but i want to remind your listeners that to get full there are 25% fewer locations than there were pre-COVID, okay. right? So 
So what that what that basically means is it's it's almost like you know those markets are back to kind of where we were pre-COVID if everybody was 75% full, right? So so what I'm what what we're really expecting, and again, the variant throws a, a wrinkle into everything here and, and COVID does, but um I'd say without the variant, there would be a, a large number of markets where um the co-working flexible office inventory was full by the end of the year. But and that's I think partly because supply has gone down and demand it has, has returned. It so, has. Yep. so uh so that so with that said, discounting is is directly proportional to your pricing power. And and so the behavior that we would see is as as the recovery moves on, you know, some operators have been offering three free months on a 12-month deal. They'll move to two free months, they'll move to one free month, then they'll move to no free months. And they're asking prices especially on the large suite size, really won't have changed. It's their discounting that will have changed. Okay, that makes sense. So your report does some um, forecasting, like Chicago is a market that I Mm -hmm. took notice of. How do you, so yeah, talk about kind of what you see in a couple of those markets and and how do you do that forecasting? Yeah, so you may not know this, but I, I'm a recovering economist. Did I tell you that last time? Uh, I, I, we talked a little bit about your background. I, I data yeah. nerd for sure. I knew, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> yeah. so I was actually a, a regional economist early in my career. And I won't say okay. how long ago that was, but you know, our, our forecast use things like demand, they use supply and, and the types of things that we, and, and they make some estimation about kind of occupancy dynamics and and um, uh, and and things of that nature. A, a few things that I think are really important uh, just about present day and then we'll talk about current day is that yes, demand is rising like across North America, it's up 41% quarter over quarter. That is a huge growth rate um, and and shows that there's a lot of interest in the sector. There are still more closures than new locations in in Q2, that that's mm. that's really yep. really important. Uh, there's some markets where that started to flip, um, like in New York, there are more new locations than closed, which yep. I think is 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 really important. Um, um, but that is that's rare. And so what what's happening is demand is coming back before supply is coming back. So that's going to create a shortage at some point. Um, and I, I hope what the industry starts to learn is flexible office is just that. Like, like, and and we should kind of get used to it. COVID is a shock that we hope we don't go through too many more times, but it can teach us a lot. So, number one, like if there's a big shock like that, people will take advantage of their flexibility and leave, right? And that will that will be a challenge. But then when the market comes back. We also need to be so so we need to be ready for the downward, but we need to be ready for the up up as well. And my fear is that this sector may not be ready for the up. Um, mm-hmm. and and we see that in a number of sectors now. If anybody, any of your listeners have flown on an airplane, stayed at a hotel, eaten at a restaurant, these are sectors that have not been ready for the return of demand generally. Um, and I I fear that that this industry could be the same now. Certain things may may extend recovery, or and and push it back into the future. But that 
we're already seeing signs of that in, in particular in things like, is my sales team staffed up? Is my pricing model and my my discounting strategy ready to go? Dyna- um, and dynamic enough to, right, to your right. point, to respond to the, to the demand in, in a timely fashion. Um, this is this is a really kind of really basic one, but certain large operators, I mean, the, this industry, and you know this um, a lot, this industry has a fair amount of turnover and, you know, and, and among salespeople or community managers, it yeah. can be 25, 30% a year in terms of yeah. what we've seen. Yeah. That's been even more, the turnover has been even higher um, in the last three to four months in this sector than that. And so what that means is, is if you are, you know, we're not the only, you know, supplier of, of demand and, and new tenants, but if your sales team is turning over and you're not reconnecting with your sources of demand, or you're not passing those leads off salesperson to salesperson, you're, you're going to lose them. And so I think, I think that's to, to draw a corollary or parallel between co-working flexible office and, and the sectors we're all experiencing in recovery that are kind of struggling don't let that happen to your business or said another way, if you can solve that problem, you're going to be ahead. Are you seeing some, some gaps in execution when you're trying to send leads? I remember early in my GWA days, we did an exercise where we had a contractor from Upwork call 300 co-working locations and track which ones picked up the phone. Mm-hmm. 30% you know, a third of them answered the phone. And I was like, that's a lead, right? You just didn't pick up. I mean, it wasn't a lead, but it could have been a lead. And so that's a real basic example of what what I think you're talking about here is probably lead management overall. And are things falling through the cracks as team turns over? Hey, I just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass, three behind-the-scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path. So the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, um, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Here's something I, I can share, and I won't name names, but 
but even pre-COVID, we we stack ranked um, operators in terms of their ability to close on the leads that we sent to them. And and within the top five names that everybody knows, the the low close rate was five percent, the high close rate was forty percent. And so, talk about the these are from huge. wow, well staffed, well paid, yep. leading operators. The variance of their ability to close was in that case eight x. Um, that hasn't gotten any better. In fact, that's probably worse um, during COVID, and meaning the variance. Do you feed, feed so, that data back to them? Are they are mm-hmm. they aware of that? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And and the one that was the lowest is now actually moved way up. Uh, they made a real they made they made a real concerted effort. They actually turned over their entire sales organization from top to bottom, and they fixed it. Um, so that's a real that's really good news. But in a time of turnover and change and and everything that that everybody's going through, that, that's really something to to watch. It's a it's a real execution issue. Yeah, which is super insightful. There's so many things that you have to get right in this model, location, the design of your, you know, your product mix, and then there's you manage the leads. <laughs> I mean, yep. And I yeah. So I'm curious. You talked about uh, well. Let's talk about your briefly your your transition into square foot, and then I want to talk about the insights that you see. You know, you mentioned in our pre chat between traditional office behavior and flex office behavior in terms of demand during this time. Right. Right. Well, so yeah. congrats. So- That's uh, you know an official congrats on on the acquisition and. And I assume this means like some exciting resources for your team to be able to run at what you want to run at. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so since you and I spoke, um, I become the head of flexible office solutions for Squarefoot. That's a digital traditional brokerage and have brought UpSuite and the whole UpSuite team into uh, Squarefoot. And there are a number of reasons that that I did that, but the, the most important one was that there's a great team there, there's a great vision there, but kind of two key things: uh, digital first. That's a digital first company that that believes that we're in the early stages here of a massive digital transformation in commercial real estate. So we very much aligned that way, and we also aligned that um, we wanted to have not just a great source of demand because that's what every every operator wants and every every owner of real estate wants is lots of new new clients and tenants, um, but also a real breadth of supply solutions. So I'll, I'll give you an example. What, what Squarefoot operated is, is really a highly, highly successful nine-year-old digital brokerage doing traditional real estate deals. So, so five-year leases and three-year leases and 10-year leases in the cities that they operate in. What flexible within Square foot means within my purview is uh, co-working, uh, direct to landlord flex, which is a really exciting new uh, uh, opportunity that we're developing now. Um, but also uh, shared uh, shared desks. So so I run a, a property called Pivot Desk as well, which is tenants can post their own space um, there that we will then introduce to Square Foot uh, and Upsuite. Uh, I remember client. Pivot so, Desk. I don't know if yeah. I remembered that that's where, did they go immediately to Square Foot? Did someone else acquire them first? <laughs> uh, they went to Industrious first. That's what I thought. Um, okay. And Industrious yep. passed them over. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and David Mandel, the founder of Pivot Desk, uh, has been on Upsuite's board uh, throughout and been an advisor. So, okay. um, so very familiar. But that's so that's what that's that's what Squarefoot is really investing in. And and um, so I think the the and, and this is a great what I think what I think I and we are going through as a flex first company going into a traditional first company is I think a real central challenge for the flexible industry, which is how do we convert more and more people who are already in traditional offices to go flexible, right? It, I think there's a something that happens in every market where early adopters come in and, and there's a certain uh, fervor about, hey, it means something for me to go into WeWork early, right? Or it means for me to go something... Yeah, to me to go into this new kind I'm of savvy. Concept. I'm efficient. I'm a founder that's focused on the business. I don't right. Mm-hmm. Let somebody else handle the real estate, and there's some right pride in that perspective. So where where I believe the market's going is in, is in from the kind of enthusiast to early adopter stage, which is early adopters are people that say, "Well, I'll do something new if yeah. it's a better solution for me. Like if it's cheaper, better, faster, my employees like it better." And so we're really uniquely positioned to introduce flex into a whole stream of, of companies that are looking at office space in general. And my, um, the CEO that I work for, Jonathan Wasserstrom says this, he says, people come to us looking for office space. They don't come to us looking for a long-term lease, a short-term lease, co-working. They're looking for office space. And so we're in a really unique position to present a range of solutions to them and really learn from their preferences, which is, uh, you know, what you and I talked about right before we, we hopped on. Super exciting. And we could talk about that. And next time I want to talk about the landlord inventory. So we'll (laughs) (laughs) making notes for our, our next chat. So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. You talked about some insights around the differences between traditional office users and flex office users. What are, what have you seen? So, I mean, I think I, the, what, what I, I mean, still the, the vast majority of the market is traditional, meaning 90, yep. 95 to 97% of office tenants are in a traditional lease where they go into and it's just their company. And, and so there are a lot of preferences that they really like, like, and, and most of them don't have to foot the bill for fitting out the space, furnishing the space, cleaning the space, providing internet. So they're, they're used to all that being there. And they're used to, I think most importantly, having it be private to them. Like, hey, this is, this is my office or this is our office. So introducing Flex into a stream of, of kind of traditional tenants and traditional members has been a really eye-opening experience because we're not selling the, the zealotry of of co-working, mm, right? Right. It's not <laughs> right. community right. first. It's not. Right. Yeah, that's it, it, right. It's super important. Yeah. What 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 ends up being true and and most impactful by far is location, like by far. And and it's is it in a is it easy to get to? Is it on a train line that I need? Is it a, does it have easy parking? Right. So that that's still number one. Um, the next, the next thing is what's the environment I'm going to work in and, and what's my role in creating it. That, that I think is a really interesting one. And, and what, what we've boiled that down to is how private is it and how private do I want it to be? Will I take on the creation of a unique work environment 
for my company and my company alone? And how good do I want to be at it? Versus am I willing to share some of it to go into something that's maybe a little nicer, maybe a little more modern um, that's already done for me? And I think those are, if you phrase it to a tenant like that, they start to really open up and 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 talk about that. And and like many of us, I, I bought a I bought a second home recently and and it came totally decorated, totally furnished, down to like the silverware and the plates. You and everything. been ready, plug and play. You've been ready. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> <Great>. this is great. <laughs> and I and I think there's a certain element to that that we're all getting more and more comfortable yeah. with. It's like just make it move and ready. And yeah. I'll pick the things that I, you know, really care about. Yeah. Right. Uh, I might make some small modifications, yeah. but if I can just show up and my team can just show up, that feels really good, especially if it's professionally designed as so many of, of the flexible spaces are. So, so privacy is kind of one part of that and the willingness to share. The second thing is, is really a funny thing. And, and my colleagues at court and branch and other places, I think will re- react to this one, which is furniture is, is something a lot of people don't want to deal with. Um, uh, I was talking to a colleague yesterday who who's, has mapped out the math of why a building owner should also own the furniture. And it's pretty compelling, like for a, for a tenant to spend a lot of money on something that nobody wants five years later, there's actually not a way for that to make economic sense. And so, so I've been really surprised by how many companies just want to avoid the furniture problem altogether uh, and will choose an office configuration based on is it furnished or not. And so, so that's been, it's been honestly really, um, I, I'm, I'm a pretty curious person and I think it's really piqued my curiosity to say, huh, this is making a lot of sense. As, as we, we, we work with about 50 new companies a week um, and that with that kind of volume across those different markets, you can really see trends and, and uh, those are two that have really stood out. So you also mentioned sort of a mindset difference between traditional office returning and like, you know, maybe early adopter flex users returning what's there. I I think it comes down to office as a practical choice versus, versus office as a, as a symbol of, of, um, you know, of your identity. Right. And, and I think there, there, there will always be people who are the first to get stuff. Um, and there will always be people that are more practical decision makers, but who are, they're not late adopters, meaning they'll, they'll, they'll take some risk, but it's gotta be a calculated risk. And, and that latter group is just a bigger group. And so what's nice about that group, <laughs> I mean, there, there are pros and cons, right? Like a, a really early adopter will, will come to your space and they will tell everybody about it if they like it and help you build that community. The downside is they probably don't, don't pay a lot, (laughs) right? Probably don't pay a lot. And they, and they may be one person who's making a personal choice, right? Whereas an early adopter is much more likely to be an entrepreneur or a team or uh, a forward looking, you know, for example, um, uh, even certain enterprises are starting to 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 just be super practical about well, do I really need to sign something? And they're not necessarily super innovative teams or super innovative leaders, but they're basically saying, oh, I don't have to furnish it. 
I can get kind of nicer space. It's in a location I want, I'll do it. Um, and I think what's nice about an early adopter audience is a, it's, it's much, much bigger, you know, by some estimates, 10 times bigger than the, than the, the, uh, kind of the, the, the innovators that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, but they also tend to be a little bit more predictable and pay a little bit more. So, so that's, I think we we've dealt more with, um, we're moving into a cycle where we're, we're dealing with early adopters, not innovators, um, when it comes to flexible office. How do you think the early adopters are responding to the variant? Do you think? Ooh. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. Um, are they as, are they more cautious, less, you know, or so it's great news that we've gotten to the early adopter segment, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's bigger. Mm-hmm. Is, is it still on delay because of the variant? Do you think? No one predictor, right? It, it varies um, company to company and like, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, I facilitated a panel with large enterprises. There were six companies on it. Um, uh, yeah, there, there were six companies on it that represented 250,000 employees. Wow. So very big companies. And, and I asked them the, the way, a the way, a, a more kind of later stage decision maker would, would look at an office choice is to say, is there a productivity loss? Right? Is there a productivity gain? Will I gain employees? Will I lose employees with these types of decisions? Um, as opposed to a zealot might look at this and say, "Well, I've got to do it because it's a symbol of something. I'm either going to work remotely because it's a symbol, or I'm going to go to an office because it's a symbol." And so, what what that group said that was most interesting is I asked them, Can, "Are there any demonstrated losses of productivity that any of you could name because of working remotely?" And uh, that's a very like practical question that a big enterprise is gonna is gonna think about. And there was one out of five out of five. There was only one, and here's what it was. They they mentioned that their call center employees, when they work remotely, will have a a, a higher incidence of IT problems, either huh. home internet being slow, sure, their their laptops being um, kind of malfunctioning. But here was the key. This, this was a this is a financial services company that was talking. I said, okay, well that makes sense. So so you're bringing people back to the office then? And they said, no, we're not. We're building a mobile IT unit. So oh, we that. we're just going to solve that problem. Just hmm. solve it. Yeah. Right? And so so I think I think you know there are certainly examples of companies like Goldman Sachs who has a whole culture around. They call it apprenticeship. That's a very positive spin on what it is. It's <laughs> paying people a lot of money to work a lot of hours. Um, that's really hard to do in a remote work environment. It, and it, it certainly doesn't tie into their value of apprenticeship to, to have it work that way. There are other companies like Motley Fool that we're going to do a webinar with who has a, a, uh, a real distributed strategy that they're developing. And they have about, growing about 40% a year and have about, 700, 800 employees. So this is a big company. Um, they have a value called Be Motley, which is bring your individuality to work. Yeah. That type of mm. culture works better in a distributed workplace than a Goldman Sachs one. So in both of those cases, those are not, those are, those are culture-driven, but divergent choices. And they're both quite practical for 
for their cultures and their companies. So that that's the type of world that I would encourage um, any co-working or flexible office provider to think is like, what's my practical value prop uh, right now? Because that's where this market is. And it's where it will be for the next 10 years. So that the folks that can really make that argument, not just to big companies, but to small companies, I think are going to be the winners. Super interesting. So thank you for sharing your insights. And I, so I'm a big platform uh, proponent. Anybody who's listening, who's not on Upsuite, Ben, I think the value of Upsuite is you're, you're doing the heavy lifting of having these conversations, right. And getting end users on the platform. So the operators need to right know their sort of their practical equation, build the right space, build the right product, uh, manage the leads that, that you mm-hmm. send through. But you know you're doing you know a tremendous amount of education for the industry and and sort of funneling people into understanding flex and creating that demand. So we appreciate you for one, and to any of my operators that are listening that are not you know if you're in North Austin and. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry Cherry Creek. Creek North. Yeah. Um, get on the platform. But I suspect there, there are lots of pockets like that that we'll start to see um, mm-hmm. you know, pop up. So and, and the additional, Jamie, the additional value prop, as I can say, is if you're on Upsuite, you'll also be on squarefoot.com, which is about at, at this point is about four to five X the the traffic as well. So it's we've essentially five X the the uh, lead flow that we're going to be able to get for our operator partners. And that, that makes me really happy to be able to yeah. say that to, to your group, because I think all of the operators are still in a, in a mode where they could always use more members. And so hundred percent. So a huge, yeah. huge reason to do this was to say, well, how could we, yeah. how could we even make it better for them? And that, that was really the primary motivation of joining Squarefoot. Awesome. Okay. We have to wrap for today. On to the next uh, interview, but thank you for for the work that you do and for sharing your data and your insights. It's it's, it's helpful to, to everybody listening. I love it, and I think my listeners really appreciate it. So I look forward to doing it again. My pleasure. Anytime.